everyone. Welcome back to the Career Medis Podcast. This is your host, Nassar Ahmed. If you're joining us for the first time, we focus on career advice for job seekers and freelancers. That's the goal of our brand, careermedis.com. And this is episode 95 of the Career Medis Podcast. And this episode is part of the Career Expert Series. And in these episodes of the Career Expert Series, I've brought in guests, career professionals, coaches, experts who share their ideas that'll help today's job seekers in navigating today's job market. And for today's expert series episode, we'll be hearing and learning from Erin Rocchio. And she's the founder of Erin Rocchio Consulting. Erin helps senior executives thrive without burnout. And she helps them in areas such as leadership acceleration, stress relief, team development, personal growth, etc. I'm sure we'll touch on a few of those subjects. But Erin, uh, hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you, Nassar. I'm lovely. It's lovely to be here. Did I get your name right? The last name? Perfectly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, that is something yes. I'm very, very careful and picky on. You know, I always appreciate it. I don't get a, I don't have a common name. So when people mention my name, <laughs> so I do the same. No, you must speak Italian. You did it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I do have a few Italian friends. So that's, that's why that's probably helps. We would love to know Perfect. you, but before we get started, one fun question I always ask my guests is, where are they calling from? I am calling today from San Diego, California. It is a warm 70 degrees, and yeah, it's close to my hometown in, in Orange County. You're, when you said that, 70 degrees, you're making a lot of us in the East Coast very, very jealous. <laughs> I'm based in Toronto, and it's, it's too, almost been during the time of this recording, we are almost towards the end of April and yeah, it's still cold here. <laughs> so I know. I One would think it wouldn't be cold in spring, you know, this far into April, but here we are. So yeah. I, I can empathize. So I think I've had guests from San Diego. Could you share with us a fun fact about, or a fun idea, fun, fun, something fun about San Diego that people would not know unless they have lived there? I think that something that surprised me about San Diego was that we have a reputation of being very relaxed very laid back. And before I moved here about 12 years ago, I thought, man, San Diego must be boring. <laughs> there must not be that much to do besides go to the beach. And what I discovered is that, in fact, San Diego is incredibly busy. And people here love to be active all the time. And there's always something to do, always people to get together with, ton of community events. There's hiking, there's a lot of outdoor things, of course, as you would imagine, but there's just a lot more to San Diego than I think most people give it credit for. But most especially, I, I've been really pleased with how awesome and warm all of the people are. So loved it more and more since I've lived here. That's definitely great to hear. Uh, personally, I've only heard good things. I've never been, definitely a place I mm -hmm. want to visit. Yeah. So I have a few specific questions that I want, wanted to ask you based on your background. But I think it might be helpful for us to understand myself and the audience a little bit about yourself. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, I'd be happy to. So my background is in organizational consulting. I have a master's in positive organization development and change, which is a whole lot of words. 
But essentially, I have worked with and, and do work with large organizations as they're going through cultural transformations. And one of the fundamental elements of that is making sure leaders of that organization and of the teams that are going to be implementing any change are effective and are working together well in order to produce the best results. And so my work today has evolved into primarily executive coaching one-on-one with leaders who are looking to really maximize their career, maximize their positive impact on their company, on their team, on the community, and to do that in a way that doesn't kill them in the process, if you will. So a lot of the way business is done, especially in North America, is very difficult to sustain. And so I I deal a lot with burnout, and I know we'll probably get to that later today. But how do you be effective and high-performing and have a life and have a family and be well? So that's where my work has evolved today. So in San Diego, and I have a young family myself. I have a daughter who's one years old. And so kind of balancing that leadership and personal sustainability conversation myself as we speak. I'm curious, is this something, Erin, that you envisioned doing when you were finishing college? Or is this something that was, you know, something that was nonlinear? Very nonlinear. When I was in college, I was a social policy major. And I thought that I would go into education or into government, and that would be how I would change the world. And that was really important to me. I want to have a a positive impact on people. I had some stints with those careers and realized that was not for me, or it was, but not exactly in that format. And so it's really been an evolution. I didn't even know my field existed when I was in college. It was only through some key relationships that I had where I realized, oh, I could do this for a living. (laughs) And not only could I do it for a living, but I, it would be very fulfilling and it would feel like a, a great gift that I get to show up at work every day and do this. So it's a real evolution and it helps for me. I, what I love is it really has combined my passions and interests with an area where I can add value to people, which is ultimately important to me. That's an interesting thing because one of the things that fascinates me with the interviews I've done with a lot of my guests, nobody really knew when they were in their early 20s, this is what they would be doing. Or when yeah. they were in high school, they, most of them have a nonlinear career path. And the reason mm-hmm. I bring that up is it is very encouraging for a lot of the listeners, job seekers, where you know they're just graduating or they just graduated recently and they're stuck. And there is yeah. you know, the, all the stories. It's it's very interesting and fascinating. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask, and I, I'm very excited as soon as we were going back and forth in scheduling this interview. You talk about something about the first 90 days, and I think you mm. mentioned it. You have this concept of supercharging your first 90 days in a role. I want to spend mm. the next few minutes talking about that, but I wanted to ask you, why, why is the first 90 days, mm. I mean, very silly question, why is the first 90 days when yeah. you start a new job important? Like, isn't, isn't getting yeah. the job the big goal? <laughs> I think most people are so excited to get a dream job, they forget what happens when they walk in the door. Right. And so... One of the things that I've realized with the leaders that I've coached is that the first 90 days are really make or break. So especially if you have responsibility where you're going to be kind of managing other people, what I've discovered is there are a few things to really look out for that if you don't address them in the first 90 days, and you're going to have to do a lot of repairing. And for some people, you never catch up. So I think that if you know about these things in advance and you are intentional about building 
certain relationships and certain kind of attributes early on, then you'll be much more successful and you'll save yourself a lot of heartache. So that's why the topic is so interesting for me because I've seen people get it wrong. (laughs) And that is so true because a lot of people get so caught up and job search is hard. I've talked about this in my shows, the interviews I've done, and even on the articles on our site. You know, it's, it's a hard process, especially if you have been out of the workforce or you just graduated and mm-hmm. everybody just, you know, they get so excited, uh, but most of them are lost on what to do. So you talk right. about the importance of the first 90 days. Mm. What are your suggestions and ideas? What can one do to make sure that 90 days becomes, you know, nine months or even nine years at the same company? Yeah, absolutely. So I've got three primary areas that I'd like to talk to you about today. And Maybe we can kind of inter- interact around each one because I think there's a lot to unpack with each of them. Sure. So interrupt me <laughs> as, you, as you want. So I think the first and most important area that people would do very well to be conscious of is building trust. So this is vital whether you're a CEO, whether you're a brand new, no matter what position. So building re- personal relationships and building trust, people need to know you. And they need to know that they can trust you if you're going to have great working relationships and therefore be effective in your job. A lot of people, I think, come in with blinders on and are unaware of the impact that they're having on people around them. And they may be unaware of how they're coming across and may not pay as much attention to that relationship building. So I think that is absolutely important. And then Part of that is, you know, making sure that through your actions and behaviors, people understand that you are putting the team or the, the company above your own self-interest. So they know, you know, Nassar has my back. He cares about our team. He's willing to put in the extra work, what have you. But I can count on him, right, from a personal perspective. Also, I would say the second piece of this is uh, around the liability. Doing what you say you're going to do, you know, letting people know you, they can trust your word is absolutely vital. So that's my big suggestion is be very conscious of from a relationship perspective and also from a kind of a behavior perspective is to build trust and be very conscious of that. Building trust, meaning, so you, you, let's say you're new to the job, so you, you want to be mm-hmm. establishing yourself. When you say trust, I'm, is it trust about being reliable, being punctual, being able to do the job? Mm-hmm. Which, one, mm-hmm. which one of them would be? I'm specifically thinking about relationships. I'm specifically thinking about relationships with your coworkers, with your boss, letting people get to know you as a person, not just as your job description, and building that personal connection. I think that that goes a really, really long way. And you want to be sensitive to the different environments that you're in, because not every company has the same kind of culture, but certainly that personal trust is really important. Now, the second thing you mentioned, which is kind of my next point of of offering would be around competence. So in your first 90 days, you need to demonstrate that you are competent at your job. And so part of that is being really aware of your strengths and learning and knowing how to quickly leverage them. The other thing is, as you're building your competence, especially if you're going into a role that or a career that's completely new, I'd encourage people to think about taking on the approach of a humble learner right? So not coming in with a high ego, but really open and curious and having a learner's mindset as you're quickly building your skills and your capabilities. So working hard, learning, being open and building that confidence 
and then standing in your in the areas that you already are competent. I think one of the other things related to this that people often miss is they don't realize how good they are already or how their experience and strengths that feel natural and, and kind of innate for them, how they're sometimes really rare and unique and others would value from them. And so I think being clear on the strengths that you bring in the areas that you already are competent and bringing those fully to a new job is really important. Got it. So relationships, competence, showing that mm-hmm. you can be trusted on and you can do the job. That's good. Yeah. So that's the and I would say, by the way, competence builds trust. If you've got that relationship foundation and you prove your competence, of course, that's going to just only make trust go up. That's a great point because every company I've worked with, they have a three-month review or a post-probation. They, the manager sits down with you and they talk about... Yes. Well, they do talk about these two things. If you think about it, you know, are you showing up as a person that everybody else wants to hang around with or be around with? Or, and mm-hmm. second thing is, are you able to do your job? And that's why mm-hmm. they got hired. So that's, that's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think the third thing that, especially for folks that are younger in their career, we're not always aware of, but I think it's really important. So as you come into a new role, whether it's a, a, the same company or a new company, you need to learn how things get done around there. And that can look a few different ways. So really what you're starting to pay attention to are who makes decisions? Who are the deciders? How do things get done? If, if you're feeling stuck on a project, who are the influencers in that culture that really will help you and make a difference? What are the norms of this unique company? right? Like how do things get done in terms of their values, their beliefs, their behaviors? What's the way in which, you know, such and such company gets things done around here? And so learning and listening and observing very thoughtfully, respecting that organizational culture in some ways is really important early on before you can come in and make changes. And I think a lot of people, especially when they're young, I did this myself, where I came in like, you know, a bowl in a china shop and I said, I want to change the culture in X, Y, Z direction, which might have been really good and I had great intentions, but I didn't always respect and honor kind of what existed before I got there. And so that made it harder. Whereas if I had come in and said, okay, here's how they do things here. Here are the power dynamics. Here are the influencers. How do I build their trust and appreciate what does exist first? Then coming in and offering kind of change solutions or process improvements or whatever it was, that would have been much more effective. That's a great point because let's say you're coming in new to a company and maybe you come in and as a mid-level manager or even a senior level, there are established mm-hmm. ideas, traditions. Uh, they may not be perfect. They may not be working, but still mm-hmm. it would be people are not receptive. If you just come in and want to change everything, then that's mm-hmm. where all the tension comes in. So what you're suggesting mm-hmm. is, you know, understand that first and try to mold yourself and as time goes on, when you have the trust, then you can make those changes. Did I understand mm-hmm. that correct? I think so. I mean, one of the things that I might add is that research shows that people are more receptive to change when they feel that what's most important about their history and their past gets preserved. So if you say, I, like, if you were to come in and say, I really want to change the way we you know, do this process, but what I want to keep is and what I want to respect is you know, what you've built prior and how that's helped us get to this level of growth, you know, and to get to the next level, I think we need to shift slightly in this way. So coming in to your point, coming in with respect and understanding 
first, learning and listening first, then being a change agent, that's much more effective and you'll face a lot less resistance. That's great. So we covered trust, we covered relationships, we covered uh, Mm -hmm. understanding the dynamics. What other Mm -hmm. recommendations would you provide? Yeah, I think in the first 90 days, you want to also be really clear about who you can lean on, who is your mentor, who might be some allies for you, and who are the folks that you really want to have as your role models. So I think if you come in with a, a learner's mindset and say, who are people that I admire and respect and are really thriving in this environment? or who are kind of role modeling the type of leadership behaviors that I think I'd want to display someday or soon, find those people early, build relationship with them. Don't be afraid to ask them for direct support. A lot of people I know that have great mentors were pretty confident and bold in asking for their support early on. And so I think that's something that we expect others to come to us. And that's not always going to happen. We've got to initiate and go out and be proactive about those allies and those mentor type of relationships. And I think that's certainly as you progress in a, in a company and or in your career, that's going to be absolutely vital. I want to expand on that because what you touch on is mm-hmm. also personal, something I struggled with as well. And a lot of people, right? Like everybody likes the idea mm-hmm. of a mentor. And if you look at mm-hmm. the most of successful people, they all, all, all had some type of mentors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to be honest, if people listening to this would say, you know what, Nisar, Erin, this sounds great, but what if I don't, what do you suggest if they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the idea of approaching someone at work as a mentor? Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, there's a couple of ways to do this. One is if you're uncomfortable approaching someone, you can still learn a lot from someone by observing them. Mm-hmm. And I think that being clear about what's resonating with you about their approach to leadership or their approach to their role what feels like it's working really well, what might you think you can adopt from what they're doing. Now, one of the things I think people fall into this trap where they say, okay, I see so-and-so doing, you know, being an excellent leader and I want to model myself after him or her. What they can get in trouble with is saying, I want to be a version of them. What I'd like to offer for people is to say, what are those attributes of that person that you want to carry forward in your own leadership but do it in a way that feels true for you. So if your style is to be, you know, leading from the back and be a little quieter, that can be okay. So I think that part of this process too is learning what makes you unique and saying, look, I I need to be the best version of myself, but I can look to others. I can learn from others. I can role model certain behaviors that I think might fit me and might work well for me based on what I see. It doesn't always have to be a direct and formal mentoring relationship. The other thing I would say is that people often go to mentors or ask people to mentor them for whom they have no personal relationship at all. And I've seen those not work well. The best mentoring relationships I've seen are people that you build a real relationship with. It's genuine. You actually care about each other, where that person's looking out for your best interests and might be able to introduce you to members of his or her network, right? Which is something that a mentor can be really helpful with. They, they open you up and they broaden your, your contacts and your, your network opportunities, in addition to helping you solve kind of real-time issues in your job. So that's another thing I might offer around mentoring, is you want to find somebody that you can have a genuine relationship with. 
Okay, fair enough. I mean, there's a lot of great ideas here, right? So we spoke about the first 90 days and I'm just curious for the ones who want to know, what are some of the benefits they can see if they do this, this and this? Will it give them an edge over someone else who started with them? Or uh, mm. will, will it help them get promoted faster? I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure the audience is as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. All of the things I think we've talked about so far, Nassar, are related to this broader theme of emotional intelligence. That is being aware of yourself and being aware of those around you and navigating that wisely. So what research shows is that having emotional intelligence in the workplace is the single greatest indicator of success. So if you come in un, not self-aware, not attentive to relationship, not aware of how things get done and the norms of, a, of an organization, chances for success go way down. So in the first 90 days, paying attention to some of these things, building trust, building personal relationships, showing competence, being aware of your organization and the norms that it operates by, those things will not only, I think, help you, you know, get a great performance review in 90 days, but I think also are really important building blocks for a long-term leadership career where people say from the beginning, this person gets it. They understand themselves. They are great with their colleagues and coworkers. People want to follow them. They want to be around them. People listen to them and they're able to do things and make change or, you know, make a big impact because of the, the trust that they built and the confidence they've shown. So I think, Long-term, this is really setting you up very, very well, not just for the first 90 days, but well beyond. That's amazing. That's an amazing advice. So you're setting, you're creating sort of a characteristic, right? In yourself, Mm -hmm. rather than Mm -hmm. just do this for 90 days and forget and go back to being your lazy, incompetent self. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great point because, you know, it's, it's, you don't want your employers to have buyer's remorse, right? Uh, Right. You say something really important. Can I just offer one more thing? Yeah, sure, please. I love what you just said. So what we're talking about today goes well beyond tactics, right? Like here's a checklist, do X, Y, Z, and you'll get this, you know, very simple and transactional outcome. Yes, you will get some, some of those tactical successes following an approach like this, but you're also building a broader capability which I think is what you just said around emotional intelligence. And I think that is the fundamental benefit. So immediate success, but well, well beyond kind of long lasting capability that will have you in your career really thrive. Yeah, that, that is true. I'm, I'm glad you clarified that and repeated that point because I want everyone to understand that as well, right? It's not about a checklist of doing five things and you're done 90 days, you're promoted, but mm-hmm. it's, it's about building like, some of the things you mentioned about relationships and trust, they're not a three-month thing. They're a lifelong career mm-hmm. thing. So I'm glad you clarified yeah. that. Yeah, happy to. Oh, I love your questions. I'm enjoying them. So I'm asking these questions for myself as well. So, uh, so thank you. I want to do switch gears. Now, we have, let's say we have established, you know, someone has established them some in 90 days. One of the things, I mean, I've read a lot of stats, read articles on LinkedIn every day, North America mm-hmm. specifically, burnout is very, very common. Let's say mm-hmm. when in the quest to prove themselves as someone established, as uh, someone competent, someone trustworthy, someone reliable, etc. Mm-hmm. Someone goes overboard and works really hard, but in yeah. most cases, they get burnout. And this mm-hmm. is something that you specialize in. I wanted to 
pick mm-hmm. your brains on this whole concept of burnout. And I'm sure you help a lot yeah. of executives on this. So what mm-hmm. are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think you raise a really important point, which is most of us, when we care a lot and we work really hard because we innately want to do a great job, we are at risk for burnout. And I, I speak with people about some of the factors that are that make us more prone than others to burnout. And I'll just say a few of those things now, but then would love to go in any direction you'd like to with this. Sure. And you mentioned North America. North America has a unique way of working, which is completely unsustainable, in my opinion. So we've got, uh, and you probably in your audience have probably heard of the term VUCA. We're living in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. So you've got a ton of complexity that we're dealing with. And as you go up in the corporate hierarchy, you deal with more and more complexity and more and more uncertainty. So that ups our risk level for burnout because we we're dealing with kind of chronic power stress as leaders. And we often do not have adequate mechanisms for renewing ourselves. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But the way we do business here, and I hear this in all of the clients I work with is do more with less, be more collaborative. We, We work in a very integrated way. Technology is always on. It's impossible to turn it off for most of us. And so we don't have great boundaries. We don't have clear priorities. A lot of companies I work with say they've got their priority list is 15 items long, which to me is silly because, of course, if nothing's a priority or if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, right? Like you should be able to say your top three right now. And if you can't, then I would say that's the first place to start. But what all of this leads to for, for those of us who deal with kind of chronic power stress in a leadership role is that we get completely zapped emotionally. So physically, we're depleted emotionally, because we care a lot and we're very invested, we get emotionally exhausted. What happens then is then we start getting very cynical. And so we may have, we may withdraw from people at work, from our coworkers. We may start losing hope and feeling just negative all the time. And that certainly is kind of a a really telltale sign of burnout. And then the third thing is this creates this negative cycle where we actually are less and less effective. And so burnout's very real. It's not a short term, you know, I've had a stressful week kind of thing. Burnout is a prolonged experience where you've got this deep emotional and physical exhaustion, you're cynical, and your efficacy, your effectiveness at work goes down. And a lot of people I know struggle with this. I recently gave a talk and almost I think 80% of the audience raised their hand if they were in moderate to severe burnout, if you can believe that, which is really troubling for me. And so what I think is most important as people are coming into a new role and in a leadership role or otherwise, be really thoughtful about what is most important to you from your own values. What's most important to you in terms of your work priorities, your life priorities, find a way to build some intentional boundaries. Like working 15 hours a day, seven days a week is not sustainable. And so usually what happens is we work more and more and more. And as we work more, we get less and less productive. So don't be afraid to set some boundaries for yourself. And then the most important thing is absolutely in this topic of burnout is finding practices for renewal. And I use those words very thoughtfully. So practices are not a one fix, one hit wonder. They are regular, consistent things that you do that help you recharge. And so for some people, that might be physical exercise. For a lot of people, that actually means rest. 
like rest more, give yourself breaks. We need time to think and process. Step away from work, get fresh air, get, you know, breathe in deeply, go into, you know, go spend some time um, around trees and nature, and that will do wonders for your sense of renewal. So renewal is a very holistic kind of process, and that looks different for everybody. There's not a silver bullet, I can tell you right now, that will prevent burnout or resolve burnout because each person is so unique. But whatever it is that is going to help you feel recharged spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, in all ways, that's what you want to start building in practices around. Wow. Aaron, you shared lots of ideas. And I was looking at, I was just thinking about some of the few things you said. And I, I think it's worth re- myself repeating and highlighting them. One of the things I sure. really loved is if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. And that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so simple, but I'm just thinking about myself and everyone you speak to. Almost everything mm-hmm. is, that, that is so true. If, you're not, if you do not know what is most important, that means you're just doing a lot of things. You, you, it's busyness all the mm-hmm. time. You mentioned something mm-hmm. at the end, which I also love is practices of renewal. And uh, I, you know, when I think about renewal, most people, they'll think, oh, let me take this week vacation to a resort, a warm country, and I come back. But you're, what you're suggesting is in an ongoing basis, sometimes daily, sometimes right. daily, which I really love. Yeah. So, the, I mean, these two really stood out for me. I'm, I know you shared a lot of other ideas. Yeah. But it, but it is true. I mean, 80%. That's amazing. That's uh, scary as well. It is scary. Well, and it really coincides with the research now around employee engagement that says, you know, 80% of our workforce is disengaged, which means they're actively taking their energy away from their jobs and not putting extra discretionary effort into them. And that is probably very correlated with burnout. I haven't done that research myself, but I would love to get into understanding that a little bit more. So, but I just, I, I really appreciated what you said about vacation. If I can just say one more thing about that. Sure. Mo- many people, at least in the U.S., many people don't even take vacation. <laughs> and we're not even good at doing that. So if you get a week to take vacation, that's wonderful. And it certainly may, tra- may recharge you in the moment. But you're right. Ongoing, long-term, consistent practices that will recharge you are what is most important here to to have a sustainable career. And so for some people, and even for me, that means being really thoughtful about how I book my meetings. So I'm not back to back to back to back. I give myself 30 minutes to go step outside and take a breather. That helps me not feel burned out at the end of a single day, much less over the course of years. And so it can be something very small like that, that you just need to be thoughtful about writing a priority list every morning. What are the top three things that matter to me today? So simple. And it doesn't require money and time. That's amazing. So once again, glad you brought that up as well. One last thing I wanted to say is I've read this multiple times where companies are actually paying employees to take vacations. For example, in a company called Evernote, which is an app Mm -hmm. many people use, they have unlimited vacation policy, but people mm-hmm. don't take vacation. They, take, they pay their employees to take vacations because nobody wants to. We have a sense mm-hmm. of culture where, you know, it's actually people think it's awesome to be burnt out. And uh, yeah. it's good to hear a reminder when you said all these things. So thanks for yeah. breaking those down. You're welcome. I'll say one final thing on this. I think that the future of kind of career leadership development, organizational development is going to be around this idea about how do you be well at work? And it goes beyond physical well-being. 
but how do you do that? So it's, it's breaking down this culture you're describing of burnout, like, like we're wearing burnout like a badge. Like, look at me, I'm so successful and burnt out. No, that's no longer, hopefully, I think the future is, is moving much more towards how to thrive personally and, and work well, not just, you know, always on and sacrificing yourself. That's great. So Erin, after listening to this, if people wanted to reach out to you, before we conclude, I want to make sure they get an opportunity to know, how could they reach you? Mm, thank you. So everybody can reach me on my website, www.erinrocchio.com. And I believe in the notes of this podcast, you'll have the spelling. So I won't have to worry about spelling my name here. But go on my, my website. There's a ton of information. I've got resources there. And I also have a newsletter that I publish monthly with resources as well. And I, I love having conversations with people. So if you feel like you're personally stuck or you're in a company that you think would benefit from a broader conversation about burnout, around leadership development, you can certainly, I'd love to talk with you and you can set up time with me on my website. That's awesome. I'll make sure to include them in the show notes when this goes live. We are about to wrap up and any final words or any last pieces of advice for the audience, Erin? I just want to thank you, Nassar, for having me. This has been really fun. And I would say kind of final word of advice for folks in the first 90 days of either a new career or new role at any level is to be intentional. If you go in thoughtfully, you don't try to wing it. You're, you're thoughtful about how you're showing up. You're thoughtful about the relationships you build, the boundaries you create, how you learn and grow. If you're intentional about all of that, I think you'll do really, really well. And I just want to encourage everybody as they go out and embark on whatever's next, that, that that will serve them very well. Fantastic. That's a great call to action. Thanks for joining us, Erin. Thank you, Nassar. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone, for listening to yet another episode of the Career Medis podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview with links to the resources that Erin mentioned during our chat. If you enjoyed this episode and also learned something new, feel free to post a comment or a review. If you really enjoyed it and found it really useful, please go ahead and share this among your network. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmed, your host for the Career Medis Podcast. Thank you.